Hello and welcome to TESOL Pop. My name is Laura and joining me today to talk about takeaways from this year's IETEFL conference is Fikra McCleary. Fikra has been working in the field of ELT since 2009 as a teacher, examiner, manager and CELTA tutor. He has worked in Thailand, China, Myanmar, Ireland and now calls Manchester in the UK home. He's especially interested in how technology can enhance language learning. Fikra, welcome to the show and thank you for your time. Hello, Laura. Um, thanks for having me. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the 55th IATEFL conference and exhibition, which was held in Belfast in May this year. As with every IATEFL conference, the four-day programme is packed with an array of talks, activities and events. While it is impossible for us to attend and talk about all of those wonderful talks and events we attended, in this episode, Fikra is going to highlight key takeaways from his experience as an attendee. Just to recap, what is IATEFL, Fikra? IATEFL stands for the International Association of Teachers of English as a Foreign Language. It's a global membership association for ELT professionals, a place for people to exchange research, share views and learn from each other. One of the great features of it is the special interest groups that it has. So for example, they have a pronunciation special interest group, YLs, teacher training, materials development, and many more. They have lots of resources on their website too, like webinars, newsletters, publications that you can access. It's a great platform for professional development. The main event in the calendar is the IATEFL conference, as you mentioned, that's held every year in the UK. Again, as you mentioned earlier, there are hundreds of presentations on an array of topics, plenary sessions, debates. There are networking events. I got to meet my idol, Adrian Underhill, the author of Sound Foundations. There's an exhibition and careers fair where institutions and publishing houses showcase their work. As mentioned at the start of this podcast, we're talking about this year's conference, which was four weeks ago now um, at the time of this recording. So Fikra, you've had some time to reflect on the sessions you've attended. Which talk would you like to highlight first? Firstly, it was so difficult to actually choose, you know, two or three talks to talk about because there were so many great sessions. But the first one that kind of stood out to me was a talk by Anna Solska from Ruhr University um, titled language assessment and online translation tools, enemies or allies. Anna's aim was to get a conversation started on why students do not have access to digital tools when being assessed in writing, especially with standardized exams taken on a computer or online. So as an example, who actually turns spell check off when writing anything today? Do you do that, Laura? No, I actually use uh, additional apps as well to support my spelling, yeah. So is it really an authentic way of testing students then if you know we're limiting their access to these tools and with tools like Grammarly becoming more and more popular, is this sustainable? An excellent analogy she used was that of the calculator. It took 20 years from when the calculator was first invented to it actually being accepted in examinations. So when are digital tools going to be accepted? And um, she stressed that she doesn't have all of the answers. There are obvious challenges, but that as a profession, we need to start moving in that direction. As you mentioned from this interesting talk, it obviously opened up a lot of questions and we could go down that rabbit hole, of course. But I wonder, did they suggest any strategies or things that teachers could consider if they do have the power and the authority, I should perhaps say, to make amendments to assessments in their school? Yes, one strategy was that students 
complete the tests in the existing way, like through not using any tools or having no access to any tools. And then they submit their piece of work. Afterwards, they get to review their piece of work and edit it by themselves and then use whatever suite of tools the institution wants and edit the work further, creating a second draft as such. The students would then be assessed on both versions. So I think the reason behind this is so that students can actually benefit and learn from the process. I'm not sure what you think of that. Like you said, more questions to consider. Really exciting to watch this. And as with the calculator, it does take a long time for new digital tools to be integrated. So I think this is a really interesting one to watch and consider and have conversations about in your school, if you can have that influence. More questions than answers, Mm -hmm. perhaps. But yes, let's see how it goes. I know you have two other talks that you'd like to highlight. So what's the second one? The second one was by Marek Kikoyak. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, from National Geographic Learning. And it was titled 10 Practical Activities for Teaching Pronunciation in the 21st Century. In this talk, he highlights intelligibility and how important intelligibility is when focusing on pronunciation. And that in certain course books or maybe At certain times, we tend to focus too much on, in his view, less important features of pronunciation, like intonation and connected speech. Of course, there are places for these areas, but, you know, when thinking about productive skills, is connected speech as important as things like, you know, pronouncing consonant clusters correctly? Of course, it's necessary when thinking of receptive skills. If anyone wants to watch an episode of Stranger Things or listen to their favorite song, it's it's necessary if you want to fully understand what someone is saying. But thinking about the productive side of things, maybe it's not as important. So one interesting statistic that he had was that in one course book, 48% of the pronunciation slots were occupied by connected speech, which does seem a little bit high to me. For teachers listening to this episode, then, what would you suggest then could be a takeaway for them? I think. It's just important to keep intelligibility in mind. So maybe focus more on aspects of pronunciation that will kind of hinder students when they're, you know, in their local shop or they're talking to someone on the phone, things that will really make the difference. Of course, when you get to higher levels, you do need to focus on areas like intonation and connected speech. You you do through all the levels, but maybe prioritizing intelligibility, especially with students that do struggle with this. So I think his main message was just to focus on clear pronunciation, not necessarily native-like pronunciation. He also talks about promoting variety and non-native speaker models for truly global communication, which I totally agree with. Um, At the end of his session, he did go through 10 practice activities as well that teachers could use. And all of these activities were linked with the principles he had mentioned. So in general, yeah, there was a lot for attendees to take away from that talk. I know you have one more talk that you'd like to highlight. Uh, Please tell us about it. I have one more if we have time, Laura. The last one um, was by Nikki Hockley from The Consultants E. And it was titled Teaching Live via WhatsApp in Low Resource Contexts. So in this talk, Nikki gives an overview of a teacher training project that used WhatsApp. So not WhatsApp in the sense of live video calls or like a Zoom-like call. Use the other features of WhatsApp, like text and, you know, the fact that you can send pictures and and voice notes. So she also provided an example of a demo class using this resource, which is 
you know, it was quite interesting. It focused on areas of South Africa and Nigeria. And in those regions, according to the research, over 95% of people use WhatsApp. So it was great that they can actually use a resource that's commonly used. The reason why WhatsApp is used is because of the challenges of using other tools like Zoom or Google Classroom and other issues like high data costs and a lack of devices. They use all of the existing South African and Nigerian teaching materials. And the WhatsApp lessons focused on live language lessons using a CLIL-like methodology or content and language integrated learning. So I often use WhatsApp to set homework tasks and communicate with students, but I've never thought of using it as my classroom as such. Have you? No, I haven't. Like like yourself, I've used it for a communication piece as a supporting technology, essentially, to my classroom. I've never heard of it used in this, this way. So this is really fascinating. The class could go like this. So in one WhatsApp group, you could have 20 students and a teacher. So as I mentioned, it's a teacher training project, but you have the teachers acting as students in this training project. It's not a live class. As in the sense of, as I mentioned earlier, there's no video, there's no, um, you can't see each other. The teacher puts the students into smaller teams, for example, the tigers, the elephants, and the teacher gives all of his or her instructions through text notes, voice notes, pictures, GIFs, emojis, and calls on different teams to respond using the same features. It sounds like it could be quite complicated especially when you've got 20 students wanting to text in or you know post something at the same time so from looking at the screencast of the live text it was important for teachers to have very clear very detailed instructions so i saw things like don't post your answer until i say go with that little um, traffic light emoji as a way of managing contributions and um, there were also pdf documents posted to the groups that students could download so that they could complete tasks both in the class and for homework. So it's quite an interesting project and, you know, an interesting way of looking at a classroom. Could you tell me a bit more about what happened after this? Because obviously the target audience were teachers. Did those teachers then take this model and then apply it to their own teaching context? Yes. So it was used with over 10,000 teachers in South Africa and Nigeria, which is a huge number. Wow. Um, a great feature of the project was that they used a cascade type training model where the lead trainers um, trained a group of local master trainers. And then those master trainers trained the teachers and the teachers could then teach the students using this model. So it you know, allowed the project to continue and be sustainable, which I think is just a core kind of principle needed for any like major project like this. That's brilliant that there's something in place that will continue to grow and evolve. Yes. Um, there was some feedback produced as well from the project, from the lead trainers. There was actually no feedback from any of the students or the, the teachers, but I do think it provides a good insight. So one quote was, in some ways, WhatsApp is even better than using Zoom. Everyone records a voice note to answer a question, which means everyone gets to speak and respond. But on the other side, other feedback included, while it offers a solution for remote learning and blended learning, it's not a perfect solution. So, you know, from the outside, I kind of agree with both of those opinions, especially during these times when you're in a pandemic or, you know, some form of conflict is happening, you know, learning is still taking place. I do think, though, in the future, if educators could find a way to maybe make it a little bit more interactive at times, 
Well, for the additional interaction, I guess one of the solutions would be to make smaller WhatsApp groups for students and enabling them to use those groups away from the main room to do their discussion work and planning and bounce ideas, for example. And I know a lot of teachers may think, oh gosh, but that means I'd get a lot of notifications. You can put yourself in those rooms so you can monitor them when needed, but put those rooms on mute so you don't get peppered with notifications. And that also gives an element of e-safety, particularly if you're working with, well, actually it applies to adults and also those under the age of 18, that you can monitor. And if there is something that happens, you've also got a record that you can scroll back through to investigate if something maybe was said that made somebody feel uncomfortable or something like that. I think that's also an important consideration, uh, but definitely an option to explore. Yeah, like a Zoom breakout room for WhatsApp as such. Exactly. A question similar to that was asked, and I think issues around, like you mentioned, child safety or even just resources kind of stop that from happening. But it's definitely something that you know could be worked into maybe different programs. Yeah. Thank you for summarizing these three great talks. It's been really interesting to unpack these and think about ways in which they can impact teachers who are listening to the show. Some of our listeners may be thinking about attending next year's IATEFL conference in Harrogate or attending other education-themed conferences in their locality. What would be your tip for first-time attendees so they can get the most out of their experience? First, research the various scholarships available. There are lots of them from you know, lots of different organizations. So they could sponsor your trip there or even consider sending in an application to present if you feel comfortable with that. If you're at the conference, read the conference program thoroughly in advance and kind of map out a schedule of what you'd like to attend or what you'd like to see or do because there's so much stuff going on. So if you don't plan things out carefully, you might end up missing something that you wanted to see. Finally, don't be shy. Talk to people Try something new, you know, get out of your comfort zone because there really is a lot to learn. Thank you so much, Virka, for coming on the show and sharing your experience of the IATEFL conference this year. It's been really fun to plan and talk about our own experiences as we prepared for this podcast today. So thank you so much. No, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed doing this. And yeah, just to anyone else listening, go. And as always on the website, I'm going to hyperlink Virka's name to his LinkedIn profile. So if you would like to get in touch or have a follow-up question, then please do. If you enjoyed this episode, then make sure you subscribe to TESOL Pop so you don't miss out on season four, which launches on August the 1st. We have a great lineup of guests talking about an array of topics from student wellbeing to reflective practice. So don't miss out. Finally, every episode of the TESOL Pop podcast takes around 10 hours to produce as well as countless cups of coffee. That is all thanks to a whole community of people who volunteer their time and expertise. If you love what we do at TESOL Pop, then you can support us by posting a review for the show wherever you listen to the podcast and by sharing episodes with your teaching community.